Once more, it's a real joy to open the Word of God to you. And if you would turn with me once more to the second epistle of Peter, I would like to continue some things that I'd spoken to you about a few weeks ago before we came to the Easter season and trust that the Lord will bless us together as we meditate upon these things. In the third chapter of the second epistle of Peter, beginning at the first verse, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds. Notice that. Our minds are to be stirred up by way of remembrance. Now, as I said, you can't remember what you don't know. So if you do not study the Word of God, it will not be possible for the Holy Spirit to bring to your remembrance what you don't know. Therefore, you are exhorted to study the Word of God. And here, the whole key to our lives as Christians is knowing the Word of God so that our minds can be stirred up when we are spoken to by way of remembrance. And as I said, it is our pure minds. Not that our minds, our natural minds are pure, they are very impure. The natural mind cannot see the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. The only possibility of a mind being pure is when we have received Christ as our Savior and the mind of Christ, as the Scripture says. And so if there's any purity about us in our thinking, it is not coming from the flesh. It is coming from the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot set your affections on things above where Christ dwells, as Paul says, and then whatsoever things are pure and lovely and of good report, think on these things, unless first the mind has been made pure in Christ. Be ye transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your what? Mind. So let's not throw our minds away. If you listen to some of the modernists, some of the neo-orthodox, you get an idea that the Christian who really believes on Christ with all his heart as his personal Savior and believes that he's redeemed in the blood of Christ has lost his mind. But he's been transformed by the renewing of his mind so that he understands that salvation is only in Christ and in his blood upon the cross of Calvary. And so we are to be stirred up in our minds that we may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. In other words, both testaments are for us. The new is nothing without the old and the old is nothing without the new. 
the old leads to the new and to the new covenant with Jesus Christ and the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So that one without the other, we can never say we are New Testament Christians in the sense that we cast out the Old Testament. For the Old Testament is that which leads us to Jesus Christ so that we can know that he is very God of very God begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth, all things were made by him and for him and by him all things consist. And this is the God, you see, that we worship with all our hearts. And so it is both the commandments of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, notice there's no doubt here, it shall come. Noting, knowing this first, in other words, so we don't get it all confused, there's going to be all kinds of scoffing and it's going to come from both old and young. Don't let it confuse you, it doesn't mean a thing because we are being warned before time. We've been warned by Timothy, the false teachers have come in unawares, teaching damnable heresies, seeking to bring into the church, which is the body of Christ, the world. So that the church can have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. But I want to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ cannot have this. The church is separate. A holy people, Peter says, a peculiar nation, called out, separated unto God, a family. The sons of God, completely separate from the world. Let's not ever get this idea that we can bring the world into the church because the minute you bring the world into the church, you put the church into the world. Now, the church has a job to do in the world, but its job is not just to make it a better social order. Its job is to proclaim the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and to proclaim it with all the power of the Holy Spirit so that souls are converted, their hearts are changed, their minds are changed, their viewpoints are changed, everything is changed. All things have passed away and what? All things have become new so that the radiance of Christ comes forth whether it be from the young heart, the middle-aged heart, or the old heart. The same Spirit of God has come to dwell in their breasts. And I want to tell you, where there are truly born-again Christians, there's no generation gap. Because there is a regeneration binding together. And so, beloved, this is the great word of God. There's no generation gap between the preacher of the word of God and with young people. For the things that we have to preach are essential to all. As I have said before, when eternal life 
eternal life itself becomes something that does not seem to be part of your life, where it becomes non-essential, then the gospel that I preach will be non-essential and will not be relevant to young people. But as long as the gospel I am preaching is the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing from sin and the establishing of a relationship to God that you can't have in any other way but by faith in Jesus Christ and the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, as long as that is true from the Word of God, then we are relevant. Absolutely. Because the divine Spirit of God has come to dwell in our breasts and the preacher in the pulpit without the divine spirit of God is tinkling cymbal and sounding brass and has nothing to say to anybody, anywhere, for God. And so we're to know that in the first of all, I'm glad Paul says, first of all, I want you to know scoffers are coming of all ilks and all characters. All kinds. You're going to be amazed. Walking after their own lusts. It will be in the last days. Notice that the time period is mentioned. And the scoffers will come. The devil is the greatest scoffer. He was the beginning scoffer, wasn't he? He scoffed at God right away. How well he deceived Eve, huh? How simple a term. God had said, the moment thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And he looks at Eve and he says, hath God said, you shall surely die? Questioning, scoffing at what God had said. Why, he said, you will be as gods if you eat of that. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll be like God and so she went ahead and listened to him, scoffing at God, and the fall of man came. And Adam went right in with Eve. And so the greatest scoffer is the devil himself, walking after their own lust, their own way of life, in the vanity of their own minds, if I might say, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and earth which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now, may I say this? You remember I had mentioned to you about uh, Aaron of old. And you'll remember how the people of Israel had uh, come to Aaron and said, make us gods, Moses has gone. And they used this kind of a phrase like they use here, where is the promise of Jesus coming? And these are preachers. It isn't just the people out in the street. Where is the promise of his coming? I mean preachers. 
who say, listen, what do you preach on the second coming for? Because without the second coming, there's nothing. There is no resurrection of the body without the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember this. The whole dependency for resurrection power depends upon the second coming of Jesus. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven where? with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and what happens? The dead in Christ rise. So without the second coming, forget it. There's nothing for you to look forward to. The opening of the graves depend entirely upon the word of Jesus. When I say that, it reminds me of a little uh, story I remember. I don't know how many of you know Dr. Louis Talbot, but Dr. Louis Talbot was in California, once pastor of the Church of the Open Door and also uh, President Biola, Bible Institute of Los Angeles. And he told how on a Sunday in the Church of the Open Door, which is a tremendous church, he had preached on the second coming. And uh, as he left the platform, went down the facts, back, there were uh, several preachers. It's a very large church. Some preachers had come in the evening. They have no evening service, nothing else to do. He might as well go over here and listen to Louis Talbot. So this preacher came up to him at the door, and there were all the folks standing around as they're shaking hands, going out. And this preacher had a big argument with him at the door on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so Louis Talbot uh, discussed it with him and spoke to him and uh, went home and was rather troubled in his heart. And when he got home, uh, uh, during the late evening, he got a call from one of the members of his congregation, one of the women in the congregation. And she said to him, I'm so upset that you got excited with that preacher who lives down in the area down here about the second coming of Jesus Christ. She said, really, uh, Dr. Talbot, does it really matter? She said, here, we, we're saved, aren't we? So does it really matter whether Jesus comes again or not? And here was one of the members of his own congregation. So it said he hung up the phone rather sadly, and he said, yes, it matters, but I'll talk to you later about it. And he said he spent that night in prayer and in the Word of God and he went to the Word of God, and all he could keep thinking of, does it matter whether Jesus comes? And then he began with this thesis, if Jesus doesn't come, no one will ever rise from the grave. And we could add to that, couldn't we? Every cemetery should have over its archway nevermore. dead, buried. Every tombstone would say, never to live again. You ever looked at tombstones? They always fascinate me. You know, when you go down, I don't know how you are, but if I go up into the country and I see an old churchyard, I have to stop the car. I have to get out and go in and I see the stones, first I look, if it's a modern cemetery, I don't bother too much. But if it's one of the old ones, with the old stones that are sort of crumbling, you know, and falling down, I have to go in and read them. And it always thrills my heart 
when I see the verses of Scripture on the tombstones, and then, some, of course, some of the comic things that have been said on tombstones too, but especially those wonderful things that let us know in big, in big letters, He is not here, He is risen. Isn't that blessed on a tombstone, huh? He is not here, He is risen. And all kinds of glorious terminologies about mothers and fathers and little children who died in the hope of the resurrection. Knowing that that joy is in the heart, that Christ is coming again. And so Dr. Talbot just kept thinking on these things and how blessed and how wonderful it was to know that Christ is coming again. And he said that shook him more than ever before about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Remember, imagine there would be a bar upon every cemetery. It would be finished. It's complete. When we think of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of cemeteries and I think Greenwood in Brooklyn, where my own son is buried, is about 750 acres in the heart of Brooklyn and all of the dead that have been laid there. And then to think, that's it, it's finished, there's no more. Oh, what a depressing thought. How terrible. How would you want to live? I don't know how much you love your wife, your husband, or your children, but if I had that thought of my heart, I would be of all men most miserable. For in this life only, if I have hope in Christ, I am of all men most miserable. No, my hope extends beyond, you see. And so here we see, he's saying, don't get concerned now. He's coming. He says, you're going to hear people say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is it? Where is that promise of his coming? And that's exactly what they did with Aaron and, and Moses. The people of Israel said, what? We know not where this man is gone, so build us other gods. And, and so in the case of Aaron, as I said, he goes, when Moses comes back, he claims a miracle happened and the golden calf came out. He says, I put the gold in the fire and the calf came out. He doesn't tell him that he chiseled and graven it and he did all the rest. He claims a miracle so he can convince Moses practically that what he did was all right. And when we get to this area, they do the opposite. They do the very opposite. They claim that all things have continued since the beginning of the creation. Nothing has changed. And he's not coming back. Well, beloved, he says they are willingly ignorant of something, then completely, that the world had a great flood and God intervened. That God's interventions are very, very important. Beloved, if we do not understand that God intervenes in the plans of men, we will lose completely the thought that Peter wants us to have here. He says they do not understand. They're willingly ignorant of the fact that the world was overflowed with water. Now, he said, you just said quickly, all things continue as they were from the beginning. You say there were no miraculous happenings, that nothing has occurred, that God has not intervened in the, in the plans of mankind. He has not intervened in his own way. 
But I tell you, he says, God has intervened. And the flood was his greatest intervention. Creation has not continued as it was from the very beginning. God has continually intervened in the plans of men. Now, let's draw it a little more down to today because I think this is very important. Has God intervened in a tremendous way in the plans of men? Is he intervening today? Well, let's see. Now, beloved, uh, may I say this? Uh, if you think that a ping-pong tournament in Peking is going to change the course of history and is going to change God's plan and is going to bring in peace, then you're not thinking with either much effort and certainly not with a transformed mind. May I remind you that Ho Chi Minh, and now we're getting very practical because we're talking about God's interventions, and they're very, very important. I'll talk to you about that in a few minutes. Since the clock has stopped again, it won't make much difference. But I will get the red light, and I didn't throw a paper on it. Last Sunday they accused me again of throwing a paper on the red light here. But I don't watch it. I'll try my best. Well, my watch, yeah, I'll lay it on the side. If you see me go like that, I'm looking at my watch. God intervenes. I would remind you that just three months ago, Ho Chi Minh, in a speech which he made, in Hanoi, said to the Viet Cong, we shall destroy the American imperialists no matter how long it takes us. Man, how forgetful we are. Somebody plays a game of ping pong and everything's rosy. Isn't it a peculiar world we live in? Huh? Hard to fathom, isn't it? How men's minds, you know, how they think. It hardly seems possible. Then why all the sudden change? Doesn't this seem strange to you that all the sudden change comes to pass? After all, the Bible of the Chinese, did you see the television broadcast? If you happen to have a colored set, why, maybe you noticed that uh, every little child was clasping a little red Bible from uh, Ho Chi Minh on his breast as he marched through the streets. They are 800 million strong. Genghis Khan had nothing like they had. And the hordes of Genghis Khan rolled over Europe and took everything. Why the sudden change? Well, I want to tell you that I happen to believe 
that God's plan isn't going to be changed one iota, and God is doing his part and is already intervening in a way that to us would hardly seem scrutable. There could be several reasons, and all of them are very fine. Let me say this. I just list them for you because it's a very, very important thing. And I think it is so clear in the Word of God from Revelation 16 that the kings of the East with the Russian northern powers are going to descend upon Israel that we're never to lose sight of this fact. China is going to be one of the great, great enemies to roll down upon Israel. Well, let's see, what are the reasons? Now, if we can just talk about God's intervention, because God intervened with man in the flood. He says, don't you let these people fool you that everything's going along just as it normally does. It's not. That's what they'll say to you. Where is the promise of his coming? Everything's going on exactly as it was. He said, don't let them fool you. They're, they're in it, they're ignorant, willingly so, that God intervened in man's plans before. Time and again, he intervened in the plans of man. He intervened in the fall of man and cast him out of the garden. He intervened at the Red Sea and divided it so that Israel could walk through. He intervened in Sodom and Gomorrah and cast fire down upon the earth. He intervened on the Mount of Moses, the Mount of Sinai, and gave the law of Moses. He intervened when his son was crucified on a cross, and he darkened the sun with his hand and blotted out the light to tell the world you dwell in darkness and the light of the world has come and you've put him to death and the darkness is telling you that all the world dwells in darkness even unto this hour. And God intervened and put his hand over the sun and darkened it. And he intervened in the tomb. And by the power of the Spirit, he raised Jesus from the dead and he rolled away the stone, not so Jesus could get out. Jesus need nothing to get out. He walked through doors. He rolled away the stone so people could look in and see that Jesus was not there. He's risen. Yes, he intervenes. But let's look at just a few reasons before the light starts to flash. Now it is red. I'll tell you how they do it, see. It's red now. That's steady. Then it flashes. Number one, China wants in on the United Nations. as a major voting power on the Security Council. One dissenting vote from China will stop everything. That's the rule of the Security Council. No nation with 800 million comes in unless it's in the major powers. Nationalist China is seated there. 
the China that we have recognized. But already you can see that we're going to recognize, if you've read your papers this morning, it will not be long before we'll be recognizing China, communist China, and she'll be seated on the Security Council. She wants an in on the nations of the earth. But she has other reasons, and God is working. I would remind you that God worked on Pharaoh in Pharaoh's day and said, Pharaoh, you know what I'm going to do with you? You don't believe on me. I'm going to take you, and with you, I'm going to make all the people of the earth know that I'm working because you're going to try to slay my people. And when you do, I'm going to intervene. And so God does what? What does the Scripture say? He maketh what? The wickedness of men to praise Him. And so He's going to take a nation that has Ho Chi Minh as a God. Matsitang. Ho Chi Minh is the under God. Matsitang, the super God. All of their writings by Matsitang. And I would warn you, beloved, if any of you have read anything of Matsitang, he says so many wonderful things, just as Confucius say, and just as Mohammed say. And just as Buddha say, he's written many, many wonderful things. But they are of a man's mind. So number one, China wants that to get in. China, secondly, wants to continue her warlike preparations and will use us as a buffer against Russia to keep her off her neck so that she can proceed to arm to the teeth. That will give them more time to develop their nuclear propensities. They don't have it yet. Ah, but they have the bomb, and they have IBMs already. Number three, China wants trade with the United States, as did Japan and used the Second Avenue L and all of its steel was shipped to Japan and Japan built out of the things that we sold them, the bullets and the bombs that killed our children. We supplied it all. And that is a well-known fact. So they want trade with the United States. The great supplier. Number four, China wants her resources developed and she has not the capacity she wants. And especially in oil and in her steel mills. And who can better do this than a naive America 
whose heart is set on but one thing, a trillion-dollar economy with a vision to a two-trillion-dollar economy. This year we will have one trillion forty-nine billion dollars worth of gross annual product. And all the United States is thinking of is dollars, dollars, dollars. Naive! We're going to build them. The things that will finally be the means of the kings of the East coming down with great power upon that land of Israel. And it's all heading up. God said, I take Pharaoh, you hate me. And you'll try to persecute my people. I'm going to use you to make my name known throughout all the earth. God's going to take China and do the same thing. But last, and to my mind, beloved, the most blessed and marvelous thing to a born-again preacher, a Christian who really knows Christ as your Savior, the only logical reason in a very confused and chaotic and a desperate world that we're living in just like now, is that God's hand is in operation and he's beginning the, the building up of this tremendous power. I would remind you that against Israel time and again God built up sinful nations that they might bring judgment down upon his people. And this is the final day of God's terrible judgment, the great tribulation which is coming upon the face of this earth, and God right now is intervening. It is amazing, a ping-pong team. And God can use a ping-pong team to blind the hearts of the most brilliant men in the world. And everybody goes around shouting, isn't it great? Oh, we're going to be friends with China. And three months ago he said, we'll bury the imperialists. And why don't you worry? We'll slaughter them. What makes you think that he's changed? And what could blind us so much that we don't see what's happening? You know, in Revelation 16, 12, it says this, and I, you can look at it if you want, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And God says, I think it's a sixth angel, and he pours out upon the river Euphrates, and he dries it up so that the way of the kings of the east might be opened to plunder Israel. Do you know a strange thing? Did you read about the Aswan Dam? Why, when they're dedicating the Aswan Dam, did you see the big articles in the paper? They have changed the course of the Euphrates River, and within ten years it will be dry. No river. But the amazing thing to me is, if they say that's going to happen in ten years naturally, 
I say, how far can the coming of the Lord be who's going to do it supernaturally? He says, I will dry up the Euphrates so the kings of the east can march through. Listen, this congregation will never be fooled. May I say this? You'll never be fooled. Oh, you go outside, everybody's shouting about China. Isn't it great? This ping-pong team got in there. Everything smoothed over. Why they even let us win a few games? Man, Christian, you should be the happiest man in the world. The Lord's coming is nigh. I was wondering how long it was going to take China to get going. I really was. You know, I'd look at the scripture and I think the kings of the east, the rulers, that's what I mean, the rulers of the east, uh, they don't, uh, Russia's got the power, but you see, it's a nice little buffer thing to get a friend like the United States and get big trade. And GE says she's going to make a fortune selling them power plants. Oh. Some of the stocks rose right away, you know, on the stock exchange. Trade with China. Yeah, that's it. Give them all they need. God says, you don't know it, but my hand is in there just as it was with Pharaoh. And I want to tell you something, Christian. The Lord Jesus is saying you can discern the seasons. You better begin to discern the signs of the time. And you better begin to look into the Word and see what the Word of God has to say. You read that Revelation 16, 12 about the river Euphrates, what God's going to do. Isn't it great? Boy, I've gone, you know, I know, where am I? I forgot to look. But I am bad. That's just about five after, 40 minutes. They told me I should preach 30, but that's 45 minutes. All right, let's pray together. And... Uh, you ought to know a little more about what's happening than anybody else in the world right now because you know what God has to say. All right? What God has to say is what counts. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy blessed Word. Bless it to our hearts. Lord, we're so thankful. You've made us a knowledgeable people. These things were written that ye might know. Now, Father, we're thankful that it lets us know that we are the sons of God, but these things were also written that we might know the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, even our Savior Jesus Christ. And that he says, I want to bring to your remembrance here what the Old Testament prophets say and what the New Testament apostles have to say. Bring it to your remembrance. Don't let them fool you. I'm intervening. Don't you ever think my hand's out. Things are happening, and they're happening fast now. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have you as our personal Savior. Oh, Father, touch hearts this morning. Draw us close to thee in these last days. That's what it says here in Peter. In the last days, scoffers would come. But, oh, Father, we're amongst not the scoffers, but we're amongst those who truly love you and believe you and know that you have one ultimate purpose, a kingdom in which shall dwell righteousness forever and forever. And you, Lord, thou and thou alone art going to bring it about. You will be the victor.
and we who love thee will be victors with thee. Bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.